Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com. I'm Aysun Zayed. I am a comedian, disability advocate, writer, and tap dancer. I'm used to being knocked down and getting up again. Physically, as a human being, I fall down a lot, and I get up all the time. So the no's didn't dissuade me. They energized me. But I'm definitely at the point in my career where I'm done being fueled by no's, and I'm ready for the yeses. This is Secrets of Wealthy Women from The Wall Street Journal helping women empower themselves financially. Now, Veronica Dagger. Maysoon Zaid is a comedian, actress, and advocate for people with disabilities. She talks about using humor to combat stereotypes. Maysoon, you were born with cerebral palsy, but you said your parents never treated you any differently. How so? I was the youngest of four girls, and my three older sisters were born non-disabled. I... Um, due to an accident at birth, developed cerebral palsy. So even though my sisters weren't disabled and I was, my parents held me to the same standard, meaning they loved me the way they loved my sisters. They didn't spoil me more or less, but they held me to the same standard also when it came to doing chores, when it came to doing schoolwork. They didn't ignore my disability. They acknowledged it. They worked with it but they didn't allow me to use it as an excuse. So if I couldn't do exactly what my sisters did, they made sure that I understood that trying and doing the best I could and what I could do was enough. What a great message. How did your dad teach you how to walk? So first, I want to be really clear. There's no shame in not walking or using any mobility device you need. So often we hear this term, wheelchair-bound. Wheelchairs don't bind. We should call them wheelchair users, wheelchairs free people. But when I was growing up, my dad knew I was going to be splitting time between the Jersey Shore and Jerusalem. And the world is not accessible, especially back in my day. So he had two techniques. He'd put my feet on his feet and just walk. And his second, which was my favorite and the most effective, was he'd dangle a dollar bill in front of me and have me chase it. (laughs) And uh, it's so interesting because that was such a great motivator for me as a child. And it still is today as a comedian. I basically don't move unless people dangle money in front of me (laughs) to this day. (laughs) Pretty smart. Very smart. I think I would have done the same thing. So, you know, I heard in college, speaking of money, that you took out 25 or so credit cards and got yourself into debt. What do you tell us about that? (laughs) Okay. So... When I went to college, a couple of different things happened. One was that I had a mega scholarship, so I had a bit of disposable income. So I was already living too large for a college student. But we would walk across campus, and there'd be these credit card companies, and they'd give you like a Slinky or a Frisbee. And I needed a Slinky (laughs) or a Frisbee, especially a Frisbee, which I could literally never fling. (laughs) So I would sign up and they would send me these credit cards and they were amazing. You could go buy stuff for like $1,000, $5,000 without any cash. I had no idea you had to pay them back. Uh I thought like you use a credit card and then like whenever you feel like it, you give them 20 bucks. So I graduated $24,000 in debt. Oh man! And I worked it off in one year and then I stopped using credit cards 
cards, I started only using debit cards and also drawing cash. That's how I got myself on a budget. I would draw cash, and when that cash ran out, I was done. I had no money left for the month. Even if I had stuff in savings, I was done. So that's how I got myself out of debt. But now I'm a mess because now I have an open American Express. So one of these days, it'll probably get me to. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hope not. Um, so, so you initially wanted to be an actress, but you shifted to comedy. How come? I dreamt of being on the daytime soap opera General Hospital, and I pursued that by studying acting. But when I went to audition, people wouldn't take me seriously. Sometimes I'd walk into the room and they'd just say no before I even just started. say no just say no you before I even introduce myself before I'm like I'm a tap dancer they'd be like no thank you next Whoa. and so what I realized was people on TV did not look like me I wasn't seeing images of disability. I wasn't seeing people of color. I certainly wasn't seeing disabled women. You know, people with disabilities today, we're 20% of the population. Mm -hmm. We're only 2% of the images you see on TV. Of those 2%, 95% are played by non-disabled oh, actors. Wow. But where I did see myself was stand-up comedy because of the original shaking comic, Richard Pryor. Uh. So I was like, oh, well, you can be a person of color, you can be disabled, you can be, you know, bigger than a size 12, and you can work in comedy. This is a place where others thrive. And what was interesting was, I had no idea I was funny. I was a drama queen in college. I cried a lot because I had a lot of credit card debt. So I didn't <laughs> know I was funny until I took a class at Caroline's Comedy Club. And by my third show, I was a paid comic. I love it. Um, how did you not let those initial no's in acting turn you off to entertainment in general? Like, how did you have that confidence to be like, oh, I'll try another aspect of entertainment? Well, I'm a lifelong underdog, okay? First of all, I'm Palestinian, so we're always losing. Like, it's our thing. But I'm also a Mets fan, and we're always losing. So the idea of quitting just doesn't occur to me. I'm used to being knocked down and getting up again. Physically, as a human being, I fall down a lot, and I get up all the time. So the no's didn't dissuade me. They energized me. Um, but I'm definitely at the point in my career where I'm done being fueled by no's and I'm ready for the yeses. <laughs> How did you make that transition? When I started making enough money to support myself, I was like, I'm done being told no. I'm going to create my own work now. <laughs> Good for yeah. you. That's amazing. Uh, what do you think is going to make the entertainment industry hire more differently abled people get that 2% much higher than it already is. I think the entertainment industry needs to do their homework and realize that people with disabilities have the buying power of the entire country of China. And a lot of people with disabilities watch a lot of entertainment. We tend to be tied to our computers and our television because in a lot of cases, the outside world is not as accessible as our own homes. So we are a buying public. We are customers. We are eyeballs. And I think when the entertainment industry understands that, first of all, the talent exists, but second of all, we put booties in the seat, that's when it's going to change. I made my debut on General Hospital on June 21st. After three decades, my dream came true. And we trended. People were talking about it because people who didn't know who I am were excited 
to see a positive image of disability. People who did know who I am were happy to see my dream come true. People who like the Kardashians were wondering if I had been given away from them years (laughs) and years ago. So there was a lot of hype. And I think it's really important for people to know the talent exists. I think people think, oh, you just want a job at pity. No, I know amazing artists who are disabled. We're out there and um, we sell tickets. What do you think is the biggest misconception people have about people who are disabled? Um, I think that people think we're happy angel snowflake babies who never grow up. So a lot of times you hear parents say, my disabled child is the happiest child I've ever met. And I think they want to believe that because they know that life is challenging, that pain is a struggle, that sometimes it's really hard. And I think it's important for people to know we feel emotion. We deserve equal rights. We have dreams. We are fit to be in relationships. You can have a consensual relationship with a disabled person. A lot of times people feel like we can't date or we can't get married or we don't have the right to parent. 80% of disabled people have their children threatened to be taken away with them from them in the first year simply because people believe that with a disability, you can't care for a child. With a disability, you can't be an equal partner. That's all false. We are full members of society with full potential, however it manifests itself, verbally, non-verbally, walking or not walking. We're adults when we're adults. We're kids when we're kids. We're human beings and deserve equality. So you were a struggling comic for many years, barely scraping, but bye. I'm wondering what... No. No? No. I thought you were. I know. I wish I had that story, but I don't. I was a paid comic by my third show. By your third show. I skipped the struggle. You did? Okay. I struggled as an actor because I couldn't get a job anywhere. But within about five years of starting stand-up comedy, I was on a Live Nation tour. And then... Five years into that, I got my TV break, and then the TED Talk. The TED Talk catapulted me to a whole different level. So tell me about that TED Talk. Were you surprised by the reaction you got? So um, I got the TED Talk because I met a woman named Pat Mitchell at my fairy god mentor, Lorreen Arbus's house. Both have been on the podcast. Oh, really? Yeah. That's awesome. You have good guests. Thank you. Um, Pat was like, you should do TED Women. And I said, talk to my agents, which is what I always say. And she said, no, it's not like that. We don't pay. And I was like, (laughs) I don't do things that don't pay. So then I told my agent just like, oh, my God, funny. They want me to do this thing that doesn't pay. And he was like, run. And I was like, I have cerebral palsy. I can't. He's like, go. (laughs) And so I went, and I still didn't take it seriously. And I actually didn't know how big of a deal it was until I got the gift bag. And the gift bag (laughs) had like $10,000 worth of stuff. It had like Tom's boots and Google Glass at the time and like a clear membership. And I was like, "Uh uh-oh, this is big time. I should have prepared. (laughs) And, And then I got on stage and did it. The reaction was fantastic, but I still wasn't prepared. And then January 3rd, 2014, it came out and I woke up and millions, millions of people had literally retweeted it on my Twitter. And I was like, I just got like a million hits on Twitter. How did this happen? And so what happened with that was it took me global. And when I went global, I found out how privileged I was as a disabled person because people with disabilities 
encounter a lot of violence worldwide. We're 50% of the people killed by law enforcement. We have a day of mourning for people with disabilities killed by their own parents. I was raised by parents who loved me, uplifted me, cheered me on. So the idea that so many of my peers had been abused and neglected and denied access to education and work was truly, truly shocking for me. And that's what made me become a disability advocate. Coming up, Maysoon Zaid explains how to stick to your ambitions in the face of opposition. This message is brought to you by Nuveen. Nuveen has provided investment excellence for 125 years. A lot has changed, but one thing that remains constant, including the different types of durable income and portfolios, can help investors meet their goals. With expertise across income and alternatives, Nuveen continues to expand its capabilities while maintaining its legacy as a leading investment manager. Visit Nuveen.com to learn more. Investing involves risk. Loss of principle is possible. You're listening to Secrets of Wealthy Women from The Wall Street Journal. You speak of the positive reaction that you received online. You also have received some really negative reaction (laughs) online, especially when you go on cable TV. Would you tell us about that? So I had, was never made fun of as a child. I have the same best friends I had when I was five years old, but they never bullied me. They never made fun of me. I was the only Muslim kid in class, the only one who Santa skipped. People were still really nice to me. They'd take me in midnight mass, show me off, and be like, she's from where Jesus is from. And I'd be <laughs> like, I'm from Jersey. Um, <laughs> so I was never really bullied until I went on Countdown with Keith Oberman. And when I became a full-time contributor on Countdown, I would do what any egomaniacal actress would do, I would Google myself. And that's when I realized that people were really viciously making fun of me. Part of it was people weren't used to seeing disability on TV if it wasn't being talked about. We weren't talking about disability. I was talking about politics. I was commentating on the news. So we never mentioned the CP. So part of it was people trying to guess what was wrong with me. I never thought anything was wrong with me. It's part of me. I have a disability, but I'm not like it's wrong. So people were like, she's had a stroke. She's drunk. She's high. And I always thought it was so interesting that people thought I was drunk because I was like, do you think they just let me walk on TV wasted? It's like my television debut and I'm reeking of vodka. And they're like, you go, girl, get on screen. Like, But a lot of people thought that. But the hate was very interesting. People saying things like she looks like an honor killing gone wrong or so saying things that I looked like I was hit in the face with a frying pan and that my mouth was crooked and I was impossible to look at. And then one guy said I had chunky knees. And because of Chunky Knees Guy, I wore pants, leggings, on TV the next three times. And then I realized that when he said I had Chunky Knees, it was a shoulders-up shot. He had never seen my knees. I let this person control my wardrobe. Mm. And that's when I made the decision that I was never, ever going to let complete strangers on the Internet control or define me anymore. So when people ask me, how do you deal with bullying, I do three things. First, I educate. Sometimes people say things because they're ignorant. If they refuse to learn, I mock them because I'm a comedian and I like to take a shot. And then I block them. But I don't physically block them. I mute them. 
The reason I mute them is blocking feels like victory to someone who's abusing you. They say, see, I scared her. I made her block me. I won. But when you mute them, they're just screaming into an abyss. (laughs) And they think you hear them and that you're ignoring them. Meanwhile, you're long gone Googling cats on glass tables and having a laugh. Um, You have also said that women shouldn't worry about having other people applaud for them. What do you mean by that? I think that you have to cheer for yourself and you can't wait for people to cheer for you because sometimes you'll get that accolade, sometimes you won't. And if you make decisions in your life based on who's cheering for you instead of based on what you dream of doing, you'll never, ever be free. You'll always be waiting for someone else to approve of you instead of doing what you need to do. And if they do, great. And if they don't, you're still on your way. What's your advice for parents who have disabled children and are just worried about their future? It sounds like your parents were amazing. So my first piece of advice is for parents to be. If you're not prepared to have a disabled child, don't have children. Interesting. Wow. You have to be prepared to have a disabled child. Even if your child is not born disabled, children become disabled. Disability doesn't discriminate. It's the one group you can join at any time in your life, whether you want to or not, regardless of age, class, religion, nationality, race, everyone's welcome. So if you're not prepared to raise a disabled child, don't have children. Mm -hmm. If you do have a disabled child, dedicate yourself to allowing that child to be the best that they can be. Not what you dream of them, not what you emulate on TV. Always have them compete with themselves. Have them live to the highest standard that they can. Listen to disabled adults. Go online, find people who lived through what your child will be living through and learn from them, listen to them. And don't dedicate yourself to curing them dedicate yourself to creating the best life they can have. Don't feel like the only way that my child can be happy is by not being disabled. They can be happy with a disability if you create an accessible world for them. Do you think parents sometimes make that mistake or trying to make their children something they're not? I think that a lot of parents don't want to see their children in pain. And they feel like if I can fix them, they won't be in pain. If I can make them pass, and especially when they have an invisible disability, like a mental health issue or fibromyalgia, if they just don't tell anyone, they won't be discriminated against. They won't be bullied. They won't feel the pain. And I think that the intention is good. But not allowing your child to be loud and proud about their disability, not ashamed and living their best life is more harmful than than anything else you can do. So you have an audiobook coming out with Reese Witherspoon's production company. Can you tell us about that? Yes. I have a memoir coming out with Hello Sunshine. I'm very, very, very excited about it because um, I'm, I say on stage, I always say, in the Oppression Olympics, I'd win a gold medal because I'm a multiple minority. And the memoir is really fun because it's just an American story. That's really It's fun. a really stripped down American story. So I think if you pitch me to someone, you'll be like, she's Palestinian, she's Muslim, she's disabled, she's from Jersey. This story is like an American girl with an American dream trying her best to get there. 
despite the fact that she's shaky and cinnamon. <laughs> <laughs> what about your TV deal coming up? You have a production. I'm super excited. Yeah. I'm developing a television series called Sanctuary, where I play a high-powered Wall Street lawyer who gets sucked down into the gritty world of immigration, but it's a comedy. <laughs> it's a comedy in the vein of an old show called MASH, where they took a really, really serious subject, the Korean War, and made it laugh out loud funny. We're taking one of the most important current events in our country right now, immigration, and making it funny and telling it through the lens of an American-born Muslim girl. And I'm really excited to be able to bring a Muslim family to network television because I don't think a lot of people think of people who look like me when they hear the word Muslim. But I am, and I'm really excited to be able to tell this story. And I'm most excited because my character... By the way, I'm executive producer, co-creator, nice. co-writer, and star. But um, my character's not written as disabled. She is because I am. And we don't see that enough on TV. People with disabilities, someone like me could play a teacher, a lawyer. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have me play a cardiac surgeon. It's not very believable with my coordination. <laughs> but I think that people with disabilities need to be cast in roles that aren't written as disabled. So what would you like people to take from your story? So when I say I don't want to be inspirational, I think a lot of people think that if a disabled person wakes up in the morning and doesn't hate life, they're inspirational. <laughs> if you're someone who dreams of being a comedian and the way I ordered my life inspires you, I'm great with that. But I just don't want people to be inspired because they think, thank God I'm not disabled. I'd kill myself if I was her. She's so inspiring. I don't know how she does it. Mm. I'm good with people being like, you know what? I could do a job that no one ever said that I could. Or I could travel the world alone even though I need assistance. There's no shame in asking for help. If I inspire people to be their best selves, their bravest selves, and most importantly, equality junkies, I know this sounds so boring. I hope that I inspire people to not give a hoot if the person across from you is black or brown, Muslim or Christian, mm -hmm. short or tall, rich or poor, creative or academic. Learn how to treat people equally. Create a space where every single person lives with dignity, including disabled people. Time now for your secrets. I'm Aysun Zayed, and I am a comedian and tap dancer and disability advocate. My money secret is pretend you have half the money you actually have. Draw your budget each week in cash. When your cash runs out, do not spend another dime. Even if it's life or death, it was your fault for not saving that money for a life and death situation. So you know what to do. Be sure to check out our ebook based on the Secrets podcast. WSJ subscribers can download their copy of Resilience How 20 Ambitious Women Use Obstacles to Fuel Their Success for free on WSJ.com today. This episode was produced by Tanya Bustos. I'm Veronica Dagger. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Vanta. Vanta's trust management platform helps you quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, and more. Learn how by watching Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com slash WSJ.